Today's episode is brought to you by Doris, a premier distributor and manufacturer of wholesale arts and craft supplies with over 65 years of trusted business. From affordable bulk supplies to on-trend craft items, Doris has a broad selection of over 45,000 items across hundreds of product categories. Visit Doris.com, that's D-A-R-I-C-E dot com to learn more. Thank you so much, Doris. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 164 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. So check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a business as a paper flower artist with my guest, Kate Alarcon. Kate is known for her signature designs of uncommon paper botanicals. She teaches flower crafting workshops through her company, The Cobra Lily, and her remarkable pieces have appeared on sites including Martha Stewart Living, Design Sponge, Poppy Talk, and the house that Lars built, among others. She lives in the Seattle area. Kate Alarcon, welcome. Thanks, Abby. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you. So um, I'd love to talk about, of course, your gorgeous work and how you came to make it. But let's start from way back when and um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about um, where you grew up. I knew you um, were born and raised in California. So yeah. um, talk a little bit about your childhood and what your parents did for work. Um, yeah, so I was, I grew up in the Bay Area. My uh, mom was a stay-at-home mom and teacher kind of at different points in my childhood. Um, and my dad um, worked for a tech company in, well, obviously in the Bay Area. And um uh, yeah, so uh, so they weren't necessarily um, super artistic, but, but my mom um, uh, always sewed and crocheted. Um, so that so there was like craft type stuff in the house for sure. And were you kind of crafty, or were, what were you doing? I was extremely crafty from like a very young age, and in fact, I was listening to I, can't, I wish I could remember who it was, but one of your fairly recent guests was talking about having a little hand loom. Um, and it just took me right back to being like eight years old and having this little, little, little tiny loom where you could like weave these little squares. Um, and, and like all of a sudden hearing her talk about that, it just like brought back all the kind of crafty enthusiasm and joy I had as a kid. Um, so yeah, I was always like the kid who, you know, my jack-o'-lantern had to be the most elaborate, weird looking jack-o'-lantern or my snowman had to be literally a snow child from the store. You know what I mean? Yes, totally. I was that kid as well. Um, and so, so you were doing all these crafty things. Did you have siblings? Yeah, I have um, uh, two younger sisters, and I feel like that led me to be more crafty too, especially being the oldest, because I was helping with costumes and school projects and stuff like that. Um, so that gave me a lot of outlet 
uh, for craftiness. Right. Totally. Okay. And then what did you go to college to study? What did you think you wanted to do? I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, first I wanted to be a lawyer. And then when I actually got to college, um, I took this amazing English class and I wanted to be an English professor. Um, so I double majored in English and philosophy. And then I went to grad school, uh, with the intention of getting my PhD in English and ended up kind of switching gears instead. Okay. So, um, because there's very few tenure professors, (laughs) most people find that out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is everyone knew, but when I was, um, when I was entering grad school or, you know, deciding to apply the, the, the theory was that there was going to be a wave of baby boomer retirements that was going to open up all these jobs. And then by the time I was, you know, well-situated in grad school, it was obvious that wasn't going to happen. And they were were replacing those tenure track jobs with more like adjunct type jobs. And so the market went from kind of bad to kind of super terrible. And yeah, that led to me leaving. Got it. Okay. So, so did you leave before you got the PhD? Yeah, I left with my master's. Um, I had, I was, you know, kind of in the beginning third of my dissertation. And, um, and I kept getting a lot of advice to finish it. And then I realized I didn't want to write 200 pages about something I wasn't that interested in anymore for no reason. (laughs) So I ended up failing um, before getting it. And I have never regretted it once. (laughs) Well, that's good. My husband's in the same boat. He was getting a geology PhD, left with a master's degree, and never regretted it. So yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I always the people who said, "Well, you might as well, you might as well leave um, with this done." And I, by the time I actually left, I realized for me it was akin to like, "You ha- well, you have to actually marry the bad boyfriend before you can leave the relationship." It's like, no, you don't. (laughs) Actually, it'd be better if you didn't, probably. Right. Okay. All right. So you got a really nice master's degree in English. Um, (laughs) And then what happened? Did you get a job doing something completely different? I mean, what do you do now? Um, Well, so I was in the dissertation phase when I had my son. And so it was never really um, a a plan to be a stay-at-home mom, but it ended up sort of transitioning so smoothly that I ended up doing that. I did some kind of small side jobs um, during that time. But um, but so and then um, once the the youngest uh, was in was, you know, able to kind of be a little bit more independent, I was able to do uh, the paper flower. Uh, project. I see. Okay, cool. So how did you, so you kind of got back in touch, I guess, with your crafty self from childhood, but how did you discover paper flowers in particular? Because clearly this has become your craft. You know, you've landed on something that's really um, consumed you and, and allowed you to develop a lot of expertise. And do you, did you have like a specific project or tutorial or book or, or something that, you know, you discovered and you were like, wow, this is it? Or did you take a, a workshop or did you experiment with a lot of different crafts before landing on this? Yeah. So I was, um, so when I was in grad school and when I was totally miserable in grad school, I, I discovered crafting blogs. This is like in the mid aughts. And, uh, it, it was just, it just filled me with joy. It was like the one thing that kind of kept me excited about life. Um, so I tried everything. I was quilting and crocheting and knitting and cross stitching and, uh, you name it, I tried it. Um, but I, I finally settled on paper flowers as being kind of like the, my central focus after, um, 
my daughter, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I wanted to make a, a garland for her nursery. Um, and I knew a little bit about flower making from having tried it among a bunch of other crafts. Um, but I just became obsessed. So I would, you know, like when you're pregnant, especially heavily pregnant, you can't sleep very well. So I would be up to like three in the morning designing and redesigning and tearing apart flowers for this silly garland. Um, and it just, it really gave me the bug and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't shift back to the other projects I loved in the same way because I was so taken by paper flowers at that point. Okay. And were there specific resources that like turned you on to this, like a book or um, a specific craft blog that you turned to like when you were, you know, kind of like, okay, I want to make this garland. Where did you go to look? Um, well, so I, I was first made aware of crepe paper flowers um, at Castle in the Air in Berkeley. I just happened to be there um, my husband and I got married at the Berkeley Botanical Garden, and I happened to be there grabbing crepe paper um, for the wedding, and I saw these beautiful roses that they had made, um, and I just remember looking at them and just thinking, wow, I have to check that out someday. And then Martha Stewart, I think, re uh, released a, a, a kit about um, a kit with crepe paper flowers. And I, and I just thought that was really interesting, and I found some old books at the library, and then um, you know, that kind of gave me, uh, like a place to start. Um, and then, I mean, I, I'm mostly self-taught, although I've certainly gotten techniques from other books. And what is Castle on the Air in Berkeley? Is that a, a oh, shop? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's this, it's kind of legendary in the paper flower, uh, world, um, because they're, they were one of the first people to really import, um, European crepe paper. Um, so they were a shop in Berkeley on fourth street, um, which is like a super charming street in Berkeley that if you know Berkeley, you'll probably know it. Sorry. Um, but, uh, so, so she has kind of Karina Kamal had kind of, um, fostered this group of paper flower artists. So a lot of what you see now coming out into the, into the world in terms of books and techniques kind of had had their beginning it was incubated at castle in the air so they closed um i think last year which is so sad but i think they're planning to reopen i see okay and how how does european crepe paper i mean i guess describe what is crepe paper because i, I mean i think maybe people's first introduction to it is like streamers you get yes. for a birthday party where it's yes. right it's that crinkly paper it's a little stretchy like a yes. streamer but the kind of crepe paper you're talking about is really sort of different from that. That's like the cheapest <laughs> version one yeah. can imagine. And so talk to us a little bit about kind of the different grades of crepe paper. What is European crepe paper? Like what is this material? Yeah. So crepe paper is interesting to craft flowers with because it stretches and it curls and it frills. So you can use it to kind of replicate um, organic shapes. So the, um, so you have like really, really heavy crepe paper where it's just these little or these uh, really pronounced little crinkles all over the whole thing. And you can make these huge like cupped petals and these giant flowers. Um, and then you, there are finer weights where, you know, it has less structure and less stretch, but it looks more smooth um, like the surface of a petal. Um, so so that stuff tends to come from Germany and Italy. Um, you can also get crepe paper from China, um, and it's lower quality, but it's softer. So in some ways, that has its own application. Um, crepe paper streamers, I think you could probably make flowers out of those really nicely. The only problem is the height of the 
or the, or the width of the strip would, would kind of limit the height of the pedal. Um, but I say, you know, try everything. I see. Okay. So that's what this material is that you're making it with. And, and I'm imagining the European um, and probably the Chinese crepe paper comes in a lot of colors as well. Yes. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a whole spectrum of cool colors. It tends to be a ton of pinks. Um, so, uh, so they've got you covered for that. Um, one thing that's been cool though, is crepe paper artists have been experimenting with colors so that we can do even more like, like have kind of an unlimited palette. Um, but it's nice to have, especially when you're first getting started, plenty of colors to choose from. Um, so you can make your favorite color rose or daisy or similar. Right. Okay. And can you um, dye it? Do people dye it or paint it or bleach it or yes. anything? Okay. All of that, yes. Yeah. And it's it's in, it's an interesting medium because it's not always predictable how it will apply to the different weights. So there's a lot of crepe paper artists who are basically just like mad scientists running experiments to see what you can and can't do with it. It's really cool. Okay. And it, what happens if you get it wet? Um, if you get it wet, it'll swell up and it'll distort the grain. But that can happen in, in cool ways. So like if you get it wet and you twist it and you let it dry, you know, you get a, like these kind of organic wrinkles and crinkles. And um, the only thing is when you're working with it, especially with the finer gauges, if you get it wet, you have to be really careful not to um, tear it. Right. Okay. And then is there a glue involved? Yes, absolutely. Some people use hot glue, uh, but I can't because I'll burn myself. So I use the other thing that almost all crepe paper flower artists use, as far as I can tell, which is Aileen's original tacky glue. Um, and I'm actually not sure if that's the very best glue for this, but that's the one I've always used because I've learned it from other crepe paper <laughs> artists. Okay. So, and then, um, and then for stems, what is it? Wire stems? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's like uh, floral wire. Okay. And then is there floral tape as well? There can be. Um, I don't use it too often because I don't like how sticky it makes my hands. And it's also a little hard on your hands if you're wrapping a lot, um, particularly like on your thumb muscles. Okay. So what do you use for wrapping the stems? Do you just leave them bare? No, no. I use, um, you can basically replicate floral tape using strips of crepe paper. I see. So you just use the crepe paper itself. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and then scissors. Um, so I... I'm not really particular about scissors. I just kind of keep random pairs everywhere. The, for me, the main thing is having scissors at hand. Okay. And I know you've said somewhere that you like to sketch with scissors rather than sketching on paper. Yeah. I can't, I, it's funny because I was talking to another uh, paper flower person just last week and I, I mentioned that, that I really can't, I can't do it in two dimensions, but I can do it in three. And she was like, that is it exactly. <laughs> she, you know, she could really relate. And I think if you do work in three dimensions, it's so much easier um, to kind of uh, draft out your ideas as opposed to trying to translate that back into two or translate that into two dimensions and then back into three. I, it's too much, uh, too much for me. Yeah, no, I, as a person who I also um, sew in three dimensions and I just right. I 100% um, relate to that idea. So I bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really like um, to think in three dimensions. So <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. that's the way my brain works. So I 100% agree. Um, cool. All right. So so this is um, this this got you going after you made the 
garlands um, and sort of, I'm sure now you look back at that garland and you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is we moved right after that oh. and it, the garland did not survive. Oh, okay. And I actually think that's good because all I have, I don't even know if I have a good picture of it, but so all I have in my brain is this fantastic, like to me at the time, it seemed amazing. So I, I just have this idealized image that I don't ever have to confront the reality of it. <laughs> Right, right, totally. So what did you do after that? So you moved and then, um, you know, what were some of the first, you know, projects? Did you start, this is before Instagram, right? So did you start a website or, um, you know, did you jump in with the craft bloggers and say, well, here's my contribution or, you know, what, what came next? No, no, I, I just, the, I started posting to Instagram because a friend of mine, Katie Plattner, she had a, a business called Sweet Little's Handmade. She made these amazing dolls. She was a, another mom, um, in my son's kindergarten class. And I was just in awe of what she did. And I was like, oh, that's just my dream to have something like this. She's like, you should get started. You should start posting stuff. So the very thing I posted, do you know who Rosa Pomar is? Yes. Yes. So the very th- first thing I posted was, it was kind of like a, it was one of those um, just uh, patchworks, like just squares, but they were on their sides. Uh, or I mean, they were on point. Do you know what I'm saying? So that they were like diamonds instead of squares. Yeah. So I, I basically did like a Rosa Pomar style quilt and I posted it and I and I said that. I was like, this is, um, this is, uh, uh, this was inspired by Rosa Pomar, who I really admire. And um, so that was my very first Instagram post. And she commented on it and she was like, I love it. And I could not believe it. I was just like, I just felt like I was talking to a hero. You know what I mean? So, um, so that really gave me a boost. And I started posting just different stuff. And uh, the, the paper flowers kind of caught on more than other things, which was really wonderful because that's what I wanted to be posting. So once I started posting, and in fact, I listened to um, a podcast of yours about social media marketing. And so I started implementing some of those strategies and I just kind of built my following from there and then opportunities came out of it. So it really started with Instagram. I see. Okay. So um, this must have been what, 2010, 11? Uh, let's see, that was 2015. Oh, 15. Okay. I was yeah. way too early. Okay. <laughs> 2015 or so. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. And, and it's interesting how that feedback, both from somebody who you really admire, like Rosa, and then also, um, just from the public in general toward the different types of things that you're making, um, can really help you both to feel motivated um, yes. in general and encouraged in general, but then also to really feel like, okay, this is the thing that is, you know, getting the most interest. This is the thing people respond to the most. And this is yeah. maybe the thing that I'm best at or sets me apart from everybody else. Um, and so I should probably pursue it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I was really lucky that the thing that people liked was the thing I wanted to do. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, right. That's the other part of it is that you don't want to just continue to make something because other people like it. It's got to be both. It's got to be yeah. something you like, um, you enjoy and that other people are responding to. And that's, that's got to be the, the combo for sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Doris. Doris is a premier wholesaler in the arts and crafts industry with over 60 years of trusted business. With over 45,000 items across hundreds of product categories, 
They're your one-stop source for supplies for your craft hobby, business, or store. Whether you make items to sell at craft fairs and your Etsy shop, or you teach workshops or make craft kits to sell, find all the supplies and products you need for your handcrafted items. Since its beginning, Doris has prided itself on being focused on makers and independent business owners. Buying your supplies wholesale direct means more profit for you. Their top categories for makers include craft basics and tools, jewelry making supplies, wood and unfinished surfaces, floral, like the interview that we are listening to right now, art supplies, paper crafts, and so much more. So let Doris be both your DIY source and your resource because their website and blog feature trend reports, small business tools and articles, project ideas, and tutorials and more. To best serve businesses, Doris offers a low minimum order. It's just $75. And all orders ship at no additional cost with their freight included program. So exclusive for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners, you can head over to darice.com, that's D-A-R-I-C-E.com, and use a special promo code, CIA15, so CIA, the number 1515, at checkout, and you're going to get 15% off your order. That offer is valid through March 31st. 2020. So definitely go check it out. Visit Doris.com. Use the promo code CIA15 for 15% off your order. Thank you so much, Doris. And now back to my conversation with Kate. And so you kept going with the flowers. And so did your Instagram feed kind of then become slowly all flowers? Yes. Yep. And it was Partly it was because you can make a flower a day if you want. So I read um, when I was doing this research on social media marketing, I read that you want to try to post every day. And I, so I took that really seriously, like as a challenge that I was going to do. And it's, it's just totally possible to do a flower every day. So it was like a really small achievable project. It wasn't like I needed to do, you know, here's when I first picked the fabric for my quilts and, you know, where you would stretch that out over several posts. It was just like, okay, I made this kind of rose. Here it is. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, and it turned out to be actually really good. Like that was the time that I developed a lot of my know-how um, about paper flowers, just having that time where there wasn't any pressure um, to make a bunch of money or get a bunch of recognition or anything like that. Um, so it was really, and at the time I knew, I remember telling my husband, like, this is the best it's going to be. Like, I don't, I have hardly any followers right now, but I'm really enjoying this and I have all this freedom and it's really fun and new and you know, after this, it's going to be pressure. And I was right. Those, those early days is probably like the most pure joy I felt um, the whole time. Yeah. Gosh, it's funny how you had that premonition, right? Like you could see, <laughs> like it's going to grow into something that's going to become my job and then it's going to be different. But right now it's going to, it's pure joy and that's a good thing. Um, yeah. And it is nice that you had a craft that you could do every single day. Um, and I think there are, 
you know, there are a lot of people out there who are like, gosh, I wish that was the case for me, but I'm a quilter or I'm a knitter and there's just no way that's the case. And that doesn't mean you can't post every day. And I agree with you that if you want to build a following, you do need to post every single day. Um, That is the best way to go. And it is possible to still do that if you don't have a craft that you can complete something new every single day. Not only that, but I can't do that anymore. Like, and so now I'll see people who are coming up who can post a new flower every day. And it's just exhausting to me to see. So, so, and I no longer am able to post every day either. Like that was something for me that was really bound up with not having all the responsibilities of, of running a business at that time. It's really hard to sustain. So I do post more process shots now. Um, and I find it really fulfilling. I think in some ways those shots are more interesting than the finished shots. Mm-hmm. Right. It cha- it's changed. That Even that has changed and that's still fulfilling for you. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So it can change. But I do think though the overarching um, idea that your Instagram became a flowers, a paper flowers Instagram exclusively is important, mm-hmm. which is to say that you um, stopped maybe posting other things there and it really focused yes. um, so that people came to know Kate as the paper flower person. Exactly. Well, and that was some of the um, advice I had gotten early was to just specialize um, because, you know, not everybody is interested in every craft. And one thing that's interesting about paper flowers is that people who are into it are not necessarily crafty. Like people who admire paper flowers aren't necessarily paper flower makers. Um, So I feel like that makes it a little different than some of the other crafts that I did where your audience is more like other knitters or other quilters. Um, So that's been kind of interesting. So say a little bit more about that. What do you mean? Well, um, people like the idea of paper flowers, even if they never intend to do the, the actual making of it. It's something that that you can imagine as a styled item in your home really easily. It, they also got a lot of, a lot of the success of paper flowers today is due to Grace Bonnie at Design Sponge because she made it fashionable and sort of, um, she made paper flowers kind of designy in a way that, so people who are fans of design are, are, or I guess I should say people, some people come to paper flowers through design blogs, which is different than if you came to it through a craft blog, right? Because you're not necessarily uh, right. a crafter if you're reading a design blog. I hope I've explained yeah, that properly. Yeah, no, 100%. It's, it's sort of similar to somebody coming to a quilted jacket through Vogue. Or yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, exactly. 100% exactly. no. I see what you're saying. And so let's talk a little bit about Grace and Grace's role in your career because yeah. it does play a role here. So um, for people who don't know, because Design Sponge is now defunct, but Grace Bonnie had this incredible contribution to the design world and really to the craft world also. Um, yes, through, absolutely. Yeah, through her blog, Design Sponge. Um, and um, and so it sounds like she really was a fan of, of Paper Flowers and of your work. And you were a regular contributor for a period of time. So how did that partnership or collaboration come about? How did she first find your work and and invite you to be part of it? Well, so she had a hashtag um, called DS Floral. Um, so I would post my paper flowers to that hashtag and she reposted my content a couple times. And the first time it happened, I was um, at the grocery store waiting to order a sandwich at the at the um, deli counter. And I, and I was just checking my phone and I saw that she had 
reposted one of my images and I'm like my knees kind of went weak and I found myself like shaking and like looking around like I have to tell somebody about this like right now it was this incredible like I can't even believe this is happening moment um so it and it happened a couple of more times so um by the end of the year I so sometimes if I have too much coffee I'll get this burst of like uh courage and you know let's do this so I sent her an email and I was like you know you've been really kind to support my work and and uh, repost um, some of my images. And I wondered if perhaps I could do a tutorial for you. And I was so, I, it was like one of the bravest things I've ever done. And it paid off. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I did one and it went really well. And she's like, well, let's do some more. And um, so, yeah, so we did several and it was a really good experience for me, you know, f- um, learning how to photograph the tutorials. Initially, I worked with photographers, um, but I started to feel more comfortable as I went um, and, you know, designing projects that could be accessible to, to newer crafters, writing out all the steps, which, you know, learning to that kind of technical writing uh, took me some time to learn. That's that's a really specific skill. Um, so yeah, it was a great experience and it really made my career. And because you weren't a blogger, you, mm-hmm. you were an Instagram native. So exactly. um, a lot of people who I have on this show, they started out as a blogger, you know, and then they moved to Instagram. And so to write a tutorial, it's not so crazy because they did that right. for themselves first, but that wasn't your story. So um, first of all, good for you for pitching. And I just really <laughs> encourage people to pitch because the worst thing that can happen is someone either never responds or, and if they don't respond, by the way, follow up um, or, mm-hmm. um, or they just say no, you know, and then if they just take that no and use it as energy to pitch someone else. Um, well, so, yeah. Well, one of the things that I had in my mind, um, I can't remember which podcast, but you said something like, if you wait, if you take the opportunities that come to you, those may well be much less interesting or successful than the ones you could get if you tried. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if you reached out to opportunities you want, that those opportunities could be much better than the ones that just come straight to you. hundred percent. And I just, I found that to be so true. And I've told, I feel like I've told like 50 people that advice. <laughs> that's great. Totally. That's right. Like why, why are you letting um, the universe choose for you when you right. could choose? You know, I totally, exactly. you know, I totally think that that's, that's great advice. And I think that's great that you, you got a pitch. So, um, yeah. so you never know. So you got that great experience and exposure and, um, and, and so I, can you quantify anything that it led to? Obviously, it led to your skill level developing. You worked with a photographer. You got more comfortable taking step by step photos, writing technical instructions. So obviously, it led to that development. It led to confidence boost, this relationship with Grace Bonney and her team. Um, were there anything else that you can think or point to that it led to for you? Yeah, it, um, it led, it definitely led to my book. Um, and it led to a craftsy class that I did. Um, and I, I would say it's brought people to workshops too. I teach um, workshops around the area. Um, and I, th- I think it's definitely helped in that way. But just more than anything, it, it kind of helped me make a name for myself. Wonderful. Okay, so let's talk about some of these other things. And like, look at all these things it led to. So that <laughs> was one email, people. You got to send me an email. It's true. Um, it's I mean, true. Obviously, Have a bunch of coffee. <laughs> yes. And it's way more than one email. Because even if she had said yes, if you had turned in a crappy product or no exactly. product or turned it in late, 
time and time again and been a bad partner, it wouldn't have led to these things. So obviously it's a lot more than one email. I'm exaggerating, but okay. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about the, the book deal. We'll talk about that, um, first. So you have a book that, um, that came out with Chronicle Books. Um, and it's called Uncommon Paper Flowers. People can go check that out at their local bookstore on Amazon. And, um, how did that happen? So did, uh, an agent or somebody reach out to you or tell us the story of this book? Okay. So, um, uh, there's a really amazing account um, called Flora Forager, and uh, she makes these incredible. She Bridget takes apart these flower petals, and she uses these petals and botanical elements to create these like amazing collages. So I was an, an admirer of hers for a long time, and um, I had this idea that I could bring her paper flowers, and she could deconstruct them and use them, you know, for something. Um, so I, I reached out to her. It was another one of those like, Oh gosh. Um, and she was like, yeah, let's meet up. So I brought her a basket full of flowers and she's like, yeah, I'm not tearing these up. <laughs> so she was, she was unwilling to use them in the way that I was hoping, but, but she really liked them. And she did, um, a post on her Instagram about it. And so her agent saw it and then she contacted me to see if, um, to see if I'd like to be represented by her. And then, um, and then I signed with her and then she pitched the book. We did a, a couple different proposals. Um, and I, I really honestly think it was the design sponge experience that convinced, uh, the, or it was, it was a part of it that convinced the publisher to go ahead with the um, proposal. I see. Okay. So you had um, a couple of different, it sounds like book ideas that you worked with this agent to develop because one of the nice things about having an agent at that very, very early stage is they can help you to take your work and create book ideas with it so that yeah. you're not just um, by yourself being like, I want to write a book, but I don't really know how to do this or what would be a good book based on yeah. what I know how to do. Um, so at a, that early stage, an agent can say, well, here's how to market, yeah. how to create a marketable product out of what you know. Um, so what did you end up landing on? What is Uncommon Paper Flowers about? Well, so it's, um, so my emphasis all along has been on unusual plants. Um, so this, the version of the project that we ended up doing was actually brought to us by Chronicle. I mean, they, they responded to our proposal with this proposal to do a, a book on, um, on just kind of unusual flowers. And it was really fun. I have all kinds of weird stuff in here because one thing I think that, um, that I'm sort of known for is just doing a really wide variety of things. I do like cacti and orchids and um, air plants and uh, just all kinds of strange stuff. So it was really amazing to get the opportunity. So I picked, I picked not only projects that I thought would, would um, kind of add interesting challenges for a paper flower artist, um, but also I got to do for each um, project, I got to do like a little um, essay, like a chatty little essay about, you know, what makes this plant interesting or weird or um, so it's kind of a hybrid of like a coffee table book with interesting um, botanical information. And the um, photography, I, I was just so incredibly lucky. Uh, they were able to get Alice Gao, um, just just an, an amazing photographer to do the the photography. So the first half of the book is just these portraits, these incredible portraits um, that were styled by Kira Corbin. And it's, it, I was so lucky in, in the styling and the photography. Um, and so, so it's, 
it's something that I think would appeal to someone who is, you know, interested in gardening and plant life and maybe interested in how, just how do you do all this? There's a beautiful techniques um, section that Chronicle styled and shot. Um, so I feel like it's, it's kind of a, it's just an, it's an interesting hybrid of craft book and um, coffee table book that I, I just found really intriguing. That's cool. And sometimes the publisher comes back to you with their own idea or their own spin on it. And it's interesting to listen to what they have to say because they sell books as their business. And so they know what the market wants. Um, So that is always a good way to collaborate as well. Um, So very cool. Um, And then let's talk a little bit about the Craftsy, which is now called Blueprint, um, that experience too. And so you're saying that that came out of the Design Sponge collaboration. So did they see those tutorials and reach out on, you know, Instagram DM or what? Um, I got an email and yeah, and she had seen my, uh, my work on design sponge. Yeah. Okay. And so for that, did you do more of your sort of more run in the mill kind of, you know, big splashy sort of flowers or also the unusual ones? Yeah, they wanted kind of, um, kind of approachable people pleasing flowers. Um, so it's more of like a, it's like kind of an intro class. And it's also like, these are basic flowers that are kind of useful over and over and over again it's poppies and roses ranunculus um so i think it's a it's a great it's a great um it's great if you're still building your um your repertoire of of blooms you can make um and and i'm proud of it but it's not where my heart is (laughs) right Right. It's sort of more on the basic side. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. And I know you do a lot of in-person teaching. So I'm wondering yeah. how teaching the online version was different. Oh my gosh. It was so, so hard for me because at Craftsy, it's not, you know, when you, when you do a tutorial that's kind of smaller scale, it's, you know, it's smaller tech, everything is happening. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't feel like this huge production, um, to unfortunately use a pun but like at craftsy there's like serious cameramen and lights and like full hair and makeup and the and the mic packs and the whole thing so it was it was kind of overwhelming and I was really really nervous but they gave me um a really great producer to to work with and they and we got like a day to just kind of practice which was so helpful yeah totally yeah I've shot two online classes and um you start to realize that like you're not the only person in the room. Exactly. Right? Like everyone is there doing their own job and each of them can mess up. <laughs> no, exactly. So, yeah. That is that is so true. And one thing that I the, the thing that helped me actually like push through and do it was I realized everyone here is doing a job and you know, we're all at work and nobody wants to stay late at work because this you know, this lady can't get over herself and just loosen up and do it. So it was in some ways, it was like my desire to save everyone hassle and like my general people pleasing stuff that helped me kind of get over myself. And so once I had that in my head, it was it was a lot easier to just kind of grit my teeth and get through it. Uh, But I have not seen the class. (laughs) Really? I don't know. How well, I watched the preview and it looked pretty darn good to me. So, oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it looked good. So, so talk a little bit about the in-person teaching because I know you do quite a bit of that. And what is, what is hard for people to learn when they're sort of just getting started 
in a workshop. They've, you know, kind of never, I don't know if you unroll crepe paper or yeah. I don't know how, how this comes in a pack, but um, you can tell I need a beginner workshop. But um, <laughs> so when somebody first gets their hands on these materials, um, you know, what is hard for people to sort of figure out with this? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with um, kind of like understanding how crepe paper works in terms of like like muscle memory in your hand. So I can explain and demonstrate and all of that, but you really have to feel, you know, at what point does the paper tear? Because I noticed that people either like people are nervous about stretching it as much as it could be stretched because they're sure that it's going to tear right now. So sometimes what I have people do is just take scraps and just practice tearing them just to sort of know where that line is. Um, but I, I just feel like everything that's that's difficult about learning a craft like this has to do with just teaching your hands. And it's just a matter of repetition and not necessarily it's not necessarily like cognitive. Um, so I feel like a lot of of teaching craft workshops is just managing people's like anxiety and perfectionism and just you know creating calm and being encouraging and so yeah yeah I love that and I definitely think that that anxiety about making mistakes is something Mm -hmm. that um is really hard for beginners and it reminds me of um, my daughter um, my oldest daughter has a lot of anxiety and, and one of the, her anxieties when she was younger was around falling. And so she would go oh. to occupational therapy. And one of the things they would do is they would sit on the swing and this, they would just fall. They would just fall off the yeah. swing over yeah. and over again. Like, what happens if you fall? Just fall off the swing. Like, and it was oh, padded, like the room was padded. So, you know, yeah. no one's getting hurt, but like, let's just practice falling off, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you just start to see like, okay, well, if, if the paper tears, it tears. And so yeah. <laughs> that's the worst well, thing that happens, you know? And I can't tell you the number of times that I've walked around the class with a pedal saying, see, there, it's actually really difficult to tear. I can pull it this hard and then it tears right in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oops, like, and there we go. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and to, and it, um, just to the issue of being nervous in workshops. So I always, at the beginning, am like, you know, there's no reason to be nervous. We're all going to, we're all friends. We're just going to calmly do this. And um, and I and I admit to feeling sometimes even a little frustrated when I see somebody who's doing a great job being kind of hard on themselves. And then I got the opportunity to do a calligraphy workshop. Um, and I, I honestly don't have a lot of experience actually taking craft workshops. And I was so nervous the whole time. Like every time she would come around, this very, very nice instructor, every time she would come around, I would like tense up and be worried like what she would think of my work. <laughs> so it was, it was very, very, very good for me to be on the other side of that. <laughs> yeah, and it is. It's really good for us who get super comfortable in our craft um, to become a beginner again, whether it's in craft or just something completely outside taking swimming lessons or, you know, just doing something really different and being, you know, the worst person at it in the room. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I have a friend um, who took us curling. She wanted to meet up for curling. It's that weird thing where you're on the ice. On the ice with the broom. and (laughs) Everything about it was weird. Everything. Like every element was something I had never done before. I felt like 30 times, but it was one of those things where I feel like it really did knock something loose in my brain and, and I felt fresh after. Yeah. It's a good reminder. Um, for sure. I think that's great. It's good to get back into those beginner shoes and just remember it. It helps you come back to being a teacher with new, um, with, with fresh eyes. So I I appreciate that so much. So, um, I want to get to something that, um, when you, how you and I first got in touch, 
<laughs> You're like, I knew this was coming. Um, so you first reached out to me, and this was, I don't know, I want to say two years ago. Could have been. I could, I could be wrong. Um, but um, you wrote to me and you said, do you know of any resources for makers looking to reenter the more traditional you know, workforce after yeah. building a small handmade business? And you said in your email, after almost five years of making and teaching paper flowers, you've realized that... As much as you love it, it's not likely to pay for college for, for your two kids. Yep. And yep. um and you said I would like to hold on to it as a passion project, but not a full time career. So I think that um you and I talked about it over email and I was like in the midst of actually writing an article um on a similar topic and um, You were so kind and generous. I really appreciate <laughs> your help. Not only did you give me good um advice, but you sent me advice from the Facebook group and more than anything I mean, there were really helpful suggestions, but more than anything, just the reminder that, no, you have skills and those skills can be used for other things is, was just really important for me. <laughs> yeah. And we, we were talking about how to like pitch all the different things that you've done with your yeah. blueprint and your um, book and your tutorials and all those things as actual, you know, work skills that you could put on a resume and then yeah. say, you know, I haven't been taking all of this time since my master's degree and having two kids at home doing nothing. I've actually yeah. done all of this stuff, developed all of these useful skills that could be put toward future employment. So that's kind of what we were talking about. But I wondered if you would sort of talk about that struggle of saying, you know, you you had this period of time when you were just making things and posting them for fun on Instagram and then it turned into a business. Obviously, you had money coming in from a book advance, from a book contract, from Blueprint, from all this stuff. Um, and, you know, then Instagram changed for you, et cetera. And then, and then at a certain moment, it must have just occurred to you, like, I don't know that I can turn this into like a really sustainable business for me. Well, and a lot of it is, do I want to, like, if I could turn it into a sustainable business, do I want to be doing that? Like, do I want to be working 12 hours a day, every single day, trying to put aside money for college? Will I still love this at that point? Um, will it, will I be sad that I missed, um, time with my kids? Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say. Maybe there is a way to do this, but I'm just not sure. I, I feel like the, you know, the, the farther you get into it, the less time you actually have to do the parts of it that you love. Um, and I'm just kind of thinking if I'm only going to get to do the parts I love, say an hour or two a week, it would be nice if I feel fresh and, you know, not totally freaked out about money and, you know, so that I can enjoy doing them. So I've been, yeah, I've been really thinking about like, how do I how do I scale things so that this can feel like a rich thing I do as a side project um, just to make the most out of that time? Yeah. And it is. I think that's really hard. The question is, how do you make a business like this scale? Like yeah. what, what are the options? What would you have to do to make this business pay you the kind of wages that you would really need to feel like you didn't have to get another job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that the thing that's hard for me is that the stuff that I like to do is very time consuming. So to make that work, like if to wholesale my stuff really doesn't make any sense for me. Um, so I would be need, needing to um, just get a ton of, you know, 
custom orders and private commissions. And um, it's just, it's a lot of hustle and it's all very unknown. Also the things that like the book, for example, that was, that was a really exciting opportunity. Um, But it took me just an insane amount of time. It took away from all these other projects. And I, I mean, I made like $20,000 from it. Uh, 15% of that had to go to my agent. A bunch goes in taxes. A lot of it had to go in supplies. I mean, that's not, that's not going to sustain me. You know what I mean? Right. Because when you write a book like that, you can't do anything else. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, and how many months of labor was that for you? Well, so that was the other thing that was really challenging about the book. The schedule they needed was just so much shorter than the time that I needed. But I just felt like, I don't know if I'm going to get this opportunity again. So I had about eight months. I had I had told my agent I would need between 12 and 18 months. <laughs> so, um, so even more so than it might have otherwise, it just completely swamped my life for eight months. And then what I, I wasn't, I wasn't as prepared as I should have been um, in terms of knowing how much would happen after the manuscript was submitted. So that ended up costing me a couple more months. Um, I mean, it was an amazing process and I'm so happy. 100%. We are not denying that. Absolutely. (laughs) But it's, it's rough and it's hard because it's you. I mean, there's like everybody can do their part, but at the end of the day, no one can sub in for you and like write all the instructions. So it it feels like this enormous responsibility and it's, that was just a really intense time. I don't, I don't think I would put my family through that again unless I had a, a really decent amount of time. A hundred percent. And it's and if you think about it, um, you can only really do that if you're in a certain really privileged yeah. position. That is exactly. Well, and that's the thing is, so my husband has a steady income and he was able to help me. I mean, he basically was like a single dad while I was doing the book. And then I have in-laws um, locally. So yeah, exactly. Like if I was trying to do that on the side while I was working, you know, a, a nine to five, it would have been just incredibly difficult. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that really pre precludes who can write a book. I think that's, I think about that all the time, especially when I think about how many people I know who are in this, who have a, who has, who have a spouse that, that has a more traditional job. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think pe- fewer people talk about that. So, so there's that. And then for blueprint, I mean, how much prep was that? It's, I feel like it's less prep, but the product is different. Yeah. It, um, well, and that was the thing. Cause I had this idea, my daughter was going into full-time school. So I had this idea like, okay, well I need to figure this out now. Like, is this going to work or is this not? So, you know, what do things pay? How does that work? I just felt like I had a fire under me. So I scheduled a craftsy class, um, before the book contract came in. So I had to do the craftsy class on book time, if that makes sense. Uh Wow. That just, I mean, that made everything so much harder. Um, But I have to say everybody I worked with at craftsy was, or at blueprint was just incredibly wonderful. Like they really helped me prep. They helped me like block things out in such a way that it was much easier on set to not have to keep track of a thousand details. Right. And at the time you did it, craftsy paid very nicely. Yeah. So let's see, how did I, how much did I make from that? I feel like they paid me like $2,000 for the course and then they, um, and then they paid for like, well, so they paid for the hotel and the flight and everything. And so that was the first time that I'd been in a hotel away from, 
like away from my family by myself. So if nothing else, Craftsy gave me this incredible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I think it, that is under people under underappreciate what that's really like as a mom. Because oh, I have gosh. three kids and it's like I just remember the first time um just going away. Like Interweave flew me out to like do the photo shoot for my book, for my first book. And that was the first time I was away. Um uh-huh. and it was just like uh, I don't need anything else except to just be on this airplane by myself. Well, yeah. And for me, I was like, so I was in in the hotel bed. I had like room service. I was watching TV and I just felt like this is amazing. Like how do people not? (laughs) Right. I mean, in all honesty, right? Like that's the best part of the whole thing. So, but one thing that yeah. was interesting about the craftsy thing is it was the only thing I've done in my whole craftsy, or I mean, in my whole uh, paper flower career that has involved a lot of men. Like all the camera guys were men. The um, producer was a man. It was a totally different vibe. It was really an interesting, yeah, an interesting thing. Yeah, totally right because it's it's um you know it's a tech startup in a way. So yeah, yeah. for sure, and it's changed a lot. Um, you know, now that it's owned by NBC, yeah. it's a it's a very different place. But um. Okay, so I mean, I appreciate that your willingness to also talk a little bit about the real money that happened here and this, the hustle of trying to sort of decide, am I going to be able to do this? And yeah. can I take on these various contracts all at once and yeah. um, and put this together and make this into my career? And then having it sort of crescendo and saying at the end of it, like, actually, no, I can't, like, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it was always an experiment, like having gone to grad school and not having gotten a job out of that. I was definitely aware that there were risks or not that there were risks, but that I should approach it as a question instead of a plan. Like, you know, what is this? What would it look like? What's the money here? I mean, I think that's hard in general with with anything handmade, but especially when it's kind of new. Um, so it was really hard to know, like, OK, well, what's the what's the going rate for a paper rose? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so that so I, I approached it as a question, and it was a question with fairly low opportunity costs because I had hoped all, or I had planned already to be at home with my daughter until because she's my youngest until um, she was in full time school. So it allowed me to explore the the Cobra Lily has never been. I mean, there have been times when I did full time work on it, but it's always been kind of positioned in my life as as a sort of a part-time or like a side project thing like I've never been like churning out you know 30 retail orders a day or anything like that um so that's been like I feel like that was a good way to approach it as opposed to like do or die like what would this be right and it's like amazing how productive it became given that mindset yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I would say so. Um, okay, so it's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. Um, and you're kind of, kind of keep it going. And because it, it does have a lot of significance, not only in your life, but in lots of people's lives. Um, and you're sort of looking for the next, the next thing. And I know that you're, also contributing um, a flower design for a subscription box, it looked like. Yes. So that is one thing I did want to talk about. Um, Not so much as a plug, although, you know, go get the posy box. It's wonderful. Um, But it's so I've been looking for projects where I can do the part I like and someone else can wear all the hats that that don't fit me that well. So um, 
uh, my friend Quinn has a subscription box that she's built up where you basically get like a flower project a month and in the box are some goodies, but mostly stuff for the, for the project. And then there's an online class that gets filmed. So it was fun because my favorite part of this, and I think the part that I'm best at is designing the projects. So all I have to do is design the projects in the tutorial. And then Quinn takes care along with her staff takes care of everything else. So I'm looking for more projects like that where I can contribute a part, but I don't have to be able to do everything. And did you film the class or did they film the class separate from you? Um, so we film it together. I just, um, I just do the actual, you know, like performing the, the lesson I see. and then she videos it and yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's super neat. Um, right. So you're looking for opportunities that meet you where you are and, um, sort of fulfill what you love the most about what you do. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I know you invented a holiday, which is amazing, <laughs> um, which is coming up again on May 14th. So tell us a little bit about that and how we can get involved. Okay. So, um, so I had this idea. So you know how there's all these like silly holidays, like it's National Hot Dog Day or National yes. Donut Day. I'm like, well, why don't we have a National Paper Flower Day? So I had this idea and I uh, talked to some friends about it. And so we thought like, you know, what the heck? And I think we had we had the idea. Well, I had the idea and then I looked online to see if there was any, like what would a good, a good date be? And all of a sudden it occurred to me to, f- there's this botanical artist, Mary Delaney, who um, she's a Victorian artist who didn't even get started making um, her art until she was uh, an old lady. I can't remember what the age was, what her age was, but she's a really interesting person. She was kind of a blue stocking. And um, so she made these incredible uh, paper flower collages uh, there. I would recommend Googling this. Uh, her name is Mary Delaney, D-E-L-A-N-Y. Um, so her birthday is May 14th. And that happened to be just a few weeks out from when I had this idea. So I was like, well, we'll do it on her birthday in honor of Mary Delaney. So, um, so it was meant to be this kind of silly thing. And then as I started thinking about who I wanted to email about it, I realized a lot of people that I would have approached were not um, in the U.S. And, and once I started kind of thinking about how I would have to coordinate that. Uh, yeah, I, I realized like this is actually should be International Paper Flower Day. And also it's really exciting that there's so many of us now and that we have this incredible community on Instagram. And I started to get really excited about it and it didn't seem like a silly thing anymore. So I, I basically called in every favor <laughs> that I could think of to get to get the word out. And, um, and we got a lot of support and we got people from uh, almost 50 countries participating on Instagram. So we're going to do it again this May 14th. And all you need to do is just hashtag your paper flower with International Paper Flower Day. It doesn't even have to be your paper flower. It could be a paper flower you admire. Nice. Okay. International Paper Flower Day is the hashtag. Yes. Um, All right. So I will include that in the show notes for people who want to participate. That's awesome. Um, Super. And I want to make sure we get to your list, Kate, because you've got some great things to recommend. So um, you wanted to recommend a book called Modern Watercolor Botanicals by Sarah Simon. So Sarah Simon um, is an artist that's local to the area, and she is just incredibly talented. This she has this book about watercolors. Um, and it's like, it's one of those books where it's, so it's, so it's a book on how, on the basics of watercolors and then it has specific projects. Um, it's one of those books that feels like it's comprehensive and pared down to essentials at the same time. 
Um, it's just, it's beautiful. Everything is in there. Like she even recommends, she's like, don't buy a bunch of expensive supplies. Buy this thing. It's pretty cheap. Buy that thing. Like she has you all set. So I've been admiring this book and it's, it's one of those things where it's been, like the um, the light at the end of the tunnel. I have a couple of projects to finish and then I'm going to treat myself to diving into this book and, and trying watercolor for the first time. For me, everything to do with painting is so mysterious. Um, I'm just excited to have a way in that's so beautiful. Lovely. Great. And I love to get books like this from my library so I can kind yeah. of see it and um, I just put myself on the hold list and then eventually it comes in and I get yeah. them. So that's highly recommend do. if you're interested in watercolor, definitely. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Okay, cool. Um, and then you like going to fly fishing shops to get interesting craft supplies. And that sounds super cool. Yes. So there's a really good, oh, I can't remember the name of it. There's a really good um, uh, fly fishing shop in Issaquah, which is near Seattle, um, where I used to go for supplies when we lived over there. Um, just so much cool, weird stuff like this micro Chanel I use to, um, create poppy pods. They have like interesting, like different kinds of fur and feathers and little eyeballs and like just all kinds of weird. It's fun because, you know, if you're really crafty, you kind of know what the craft supplies are mostly Yeah, like going into, going into a fly fishing supply. Like there's nothing, there's not anything there that's really like you'd find at Michael's. Um, so anyway, I just highly recommend it. And also I want to say that the people that I dealt with, um, were just super nice. Like they weren't like, what are you doing here? You know, lady in the fly fishing shop, they were really supportive and interested and it was really cool. Yeah. I feel like it's the same thing with people who make like model trains and they have like all these like weird things in there. Just like, and I was going to, it's funny. I was going to bring that up and I just thought for the sake of succinctness, but yeah, it's just like those hobby shops where there's more like dude crafts. It's like, Ooh, what do you guys got over here? It's like, let me have some of this cool miniature stuff. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have this at Michael's. I need this stuff. Um, yeah, that's cool. All right. And then I've never been to this blog. It's called ask a manager. Abby. No, I, where have I been? Sorry. I almost, I almost didn't, I almost didn't, um, put it because I felt like everyone already knows about it. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad to, I'm glad to be sharing. So, so Alison Green has had this blog forever where she takes multiple letters a day about like work, uh, workplace, uh, conflicts or questions about like, just basically like, how do you ask for a raise? How do you fire a client? That kind of stuff. Um, so for, for one thing it's, you know, when you don't work in an office, stuff that happens in an office seems kind of exotic. So I've always like kind of read it as an outsider and enjoyed it for that reason. But also she's just got incredible scripts. And like, I feel like I've learned some, like I used to kind of turn my nose up at business type speak, especially like as a grad student in English. And I realized in reading her blog that actually that very neutral diplomatic, um, you know, non-blamey language is really helpful in regular life. Yeah. Um, so even if it doesn't seem like something that would um, that would necessarily be relevant to you as a maker, I, um, I feel like there's some like really, really great language. For example, um, I learned from her the phrase hard stop, which means like at this point oh, I yeah. have to go. So I used to have to say to whoever was hosting the class, like, 
do you need to go somewhere after this? Like, it's basically sounds like, are you going to let us do this? Or are you, are, you know, are you, do you have some reason why you can't? And I never meant it that way, but I did need to inquire like when, so now I learned like, oh, do we have a hard stop? Right. <laughs> totally, totally neutral. And it's turned out to be really helpful. Yeah, totally. Yes. I, I, I've, I've used that before and it's good. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's a total business lingo and is very yeah. useful and very neutral. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, excellent. Well, Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much, Abby. I'm such a huge fan. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Darice, a premier distributor and manufacturer of wholesale arts and craft supplies with over 45,000 items across hundreds of product categories. Darice is offering an exclusive promotion for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Visit darice.com and use the promo code CIA15 at checkout for 15% off your order. This offer is valid through March 31st, 2020. So go check it out. Thank you so much, Darice. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.